1: to Before They Were Live, an ongoing and monthly conversation where we wander our way through the Disney animated canon in chronological order. We're doing our best to play our part in a healthy ecosystem of art and criticism and fandom, putting things into dialogue with one another, picking through these stories in order to examine the past and understand the present. We're interested in how these movies move us and shape our imaginations. Hopefully along the way we enrich the experience of these animated films and have some fun too. Today, we are strolling into the world of Nottingham and Sherwood Forest as we watched and we'll be discussing the 21st film in the canon, 1973's Robin Hood. The story, as it quote, really happened, according to our narrator, singing rooster named Alan Adale. Speaking of minstrels, I have with me as always the minstrel of the Christian Humanist Radio Network. His job is to tell it like it is or was or whatever. It's Dr. Michael Farmer.
0: How's it going, Josh?
1: It is going well. I'm I I am excited to talk about this one because I really really like it.
0: Yeah, me too. Um, and and it's funny, right? Because it's not any less cheap and chintzy than the Aristocats, and yet it's like two hundred times better.
1: Right. I put it kind of in a category, so I feel like we've hit three in this. A particular subgenre so far of movies that are way beyond what they should be, like based on the, the limitations. So the first one was with Dumbo, which I feel like transcends uh, itself, you know, <laughs> and uh, the second one that I would put in that category is um, 101 Dalmatians. We spent a lot of time in that episode talking about how uh, this new technology was um, partly uh, or largely a matter of of budget restrictions but how um that movie kind of transcends those those uh those limitations and then this one where we're we're well into this uh you know the first dark ages of of disney and um but yet this is this is a really bright spot in it i feel like it, it uh just as you said it's, it's just as cheap and chintzy but um yeah somehow transcends well, they, they,
0: they reuse so much animation in this famously the, the uh the phony king of England scene takes stuff from the Jungle Book and Snow White and the Aristocats and probably a few other places, uh, and yet it's not—it's not annoying in any way. I don't think. Maybe other people are annoyed by it.
1: No, I—I I don't think so. And—and um, and remembering that when this, you know, when these movies first came out, we're, we're still a couple years before any sort of home. Uh, video watching experience so uh, i imagine that within the studio they were even looking at that as well who's who's gonna know (laughs) you know or who will remember um that these are the exact same things
0: that's a good point um
1: but they even use it within the film like the uh the scene of um skippy's sisters and friends laughing um gets repeated a couple times you know like it's exactly the same and so even within the film they're 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 reusing some footage but but
0: so why do you think it works so much better than the Aristocats, even though it it should suffer from some of the same problems the Aristocats, Aristocats did?
1: Yeah. Um, so I have a couple ideas on this. One, which will lead into a larger question, so I'll save it. Um, but I think a lot of it is just the characters are so much more uh, enjoyable in this one than they were in the Aristocats is, I think, the big thing. Like we're still definitely we've, – we've talked about this for the last couple episodes that in that um, take – you know, take big characters and kind of mash them together. And definitely this, this movie has some of the biggest personalities that we've seen uh, in a while, I think, Um, you know, the sheriff, Prince John, uh, Lady Cluck, um, Robin Hood himself, of course, uh, are all are all pretty big characters, I think.
0: Yeah, and let's not forget Little John, although uh, Phil Harris wasn't enough to save, the Aristocats. He's certainly great again here.
1: Yeah, Little John. Little John is actually so. I think it's it's not only that these are, these are big characters because of all the different costuming. Um, you actually get Little John in uh, you know Little John in drag and Little John in um, uh, whatever his ridiculous outfit is as as the Duke. <laughs> and yeah, that, that and,
0: absurd rich man's outfit. that yeah, doesn't fit him.
1: Right. So you almost it's, you know it's. He's almost three characters in that way, you know, three larger than life characters. Um, same thing with Robin Hood dressed up as the stork. That's, I mean, it's obviously Robin Hood, but he's he's playing such a different character that, um, yeah, I think that's part of what really works in this movie.
0: Oh yeah, absolutely. And I was I was gonna say there's a lot of reused voice actors, and I guess there is. There's there's. Um... There's Phil Harris, and then, of course, uh, Pat Butram was the sheriff, and also that stupid dog in The Aristocats. And George Goober Lindsay is uh, Trigger the Vulture, and also he was the other stupid dog in The Aristocats. So, I mean, there is some overlap, but there's actually quite a few new people. All of them are great. Monica Evans as, uh, as Maid Marion, Carol Shelley as Lady Cluck, Peter Ustinov as both Prince John and King Richard.
1: Yeah, and who does the, the – he's got a very small part, but who does the voice of the, the alligator that's the captain, <laughs> the, the I, super I, deep you know, voice?
0: You know I don't know.
1: Oh, I just – I love that voice. <laughs> it's so great. <laughs> the, you know, just super deep and booming ladies and gentlemen, you know. It's, yeah, so great. <clears throat>
0: it's a person named Candy Candido.
1: <laughs> that is an amazing name to go along with his amazing voice. I wow, I feel like I wish I would have met him. Is he still alive? He no, he
0: died in 1999. He he was a, a radio star. It says his famous line um in that deep voice is I'm I'm feeling mighty low. Okay. Which people from our milieu probably know from the Carbon song Satan Bite the Dust.
1: Oh. Yes. That's what
0: the devil says after Satan. Yes. After Satan. Yeah. After the, the Carmen. Car- You're
1: talking about the Carmen single, Satan Bite the Dust? Uh, oh, Satan man. Bite the Dust. <laughs> that, that's, anyway. that's an amazing call out, Michael. <laughs> thank,
0: thank you. C- Candy Candida.
1: <laughs> All right. Wow. That, that that was a blast from the past there. I haven't thought about that song in a, in a very long time. I used to love that song. I, I,
0: I think about
1: it daily. <laughs> I'm going to have to find it on YouTube after this and and listen to it. Yeah. So, yeah, speaking of speaking of, I guess, the the nostalgia factor, the the kid factor. I watched this movie a ton of times as a kid. Um Me too. And so these uh these opening title credits, though, are the longest <laughs> title credits ever, I think, as and a kid. So,
0: and so slow and under-animated <laughs> and underscored, and yet they're still wonderful.
1: Yeah, well, not watching them now, maybe a little better, but I mean, it brought back the memories of, of being a kid and just wanting to fast-forward through it. Um, and probably most of the time ending up fast-forwarding through it. It's a lot of the same. I mean, it's uh, it's footage from the film, you know. So you're not getting anything necessarily new on it. So,
0: but it does tell you what animals they are.
1: That's true. So, in case you're wondering if Friar Tuck is in fact a badger, um, he's. I think he's the only hard one to tell, maybe.
0: Yeah, I, I assume they added that because he, uh, because because they're afraid children would not know what he was. Victoria said it's uh, it was a reference to medieval bestiaries. I think she may be overthinking it. I'm not sure. Uh, I'm not sure how much the Disney staff making this movie really uh, thought out the connections to medieval tropes. I really love Maybe that idea,
1: did. though. I, I I super love that because I mean I just think bestiaries are like the coolest thing. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm into this reading.
0: <laughs> you should watch the movie with her because uh, throughout our viewing, she told me all the things that were connected to the Middle Ages.
1: Okay, yeah. Well, maybe you can bring some into this uh, this episode, too, if you remember them. Um, because I really, have, I, th- I think that's fascinating. Um, yeah, and then... So you
0: said you had another thought on why this movie transcends the Aristocats that was going to lead into a larger discussion?
1: Oh, yeah. So, uh, yeah, before we drop it, I guess. I guess it's the use of animals that I, I kind of wanted to talk to you about. Um, so... Uh, don't let me monologue too long if I, if I, if I do, (laughs) Um, you can, you can interrupt, but uh, I was thinking about, um, you know, one of, when we started this, this venture, one of the ideas was that we were going to, you know, kind of see how these films relate to each other as well. And I feel like we do talk about animals a lot on on our shows. Um, But the, the use of the animals changes and, and the, in a lot of different ways. And I'm, I'm thinking of, of placing them kind of on a spectrum from, uh, like the the how important it is to the story that they are the animal that they are you know I, there may be a cleaner way of saying that but like like how important is it that Bambi is a deer, for example, I would put on the, the one end of the spectrum. Like this is definitely an animal's tale where they are, they're living animal lives. They're anthropomorphized, but they're, they're very much animal. And then I'd put all the way on the other end of that spectrum, somebody like Goofy, right. Who the, the fact that he's a dog basically has zero re- relevance into, um, his character. So like, you know, Goofy and, in Mickey and the Beanstalk is, you know, it could be, it could be anything. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Okay, so along that spectrum, I'm seeing you know the different movies that we've watched, how they've used animals in different ways. So you know, I'm I'm not going to throw everybody in there, but you know, maybe you have Dumbo. um, More on the the, these are these are very much animals uh, side of things. There's a little more interaction with humans um, just by the by nature of the fact that they're in a circus. But you know, it's it is still an animal tale. Uh, Lady and the Tramp, Hundred One Dalmatians. the way the animals interact with Mowgli in the Jungle Book, the way the animals interact with uh, Cinderella. Uh, and then like the animals from Wind in the Willows, you know, Mr. Toad um, are are closer to these animals in Robin Hood where they're actually dressed and living in houses and, and all these sorts of things. Um, where I think the Aristocats fits in there is hard to nail down because they are, you'd maybe put them closer to, um, Lady in the Tramp or Hundred One Dalmatians, um, but the way that they behave puts them closer to almost closer to Goofy, you know, like sure, like
0: the cat's playing, yeah, the cat's uh, playing piano instruments.
1: and instruments and and all that sort of stuff. So I'm wondering if if the 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 fact that their behavior and their look is so out of sync with each other <laughs> is part of the um, the dissonance in that movie. Whereas here, I think, um, you know, the fact that, uh, these, they are animals, um, yeah, I, I, they're, I mean, they're, they're animals in, in human clothing and living in castles and, and those sorts of things, but there's also, there's a bit of nature in it. Like the, the rabbit house, for example, you know, is built under, under that tree, in the roots and they're they're somewhat sized appropriately so they're more you do you kind of see what i'm getting at like they're they're there's something essential to the fact that they are animals here um but it's
0: interesting because i would i would have said the opposite i would have said they're they're essentially part of that goofy side of things where they very easily could have been human beings but I, I hadn't thought about the rabbit hutch and And stuff like that. Maybe they're closer than I thought. Well, I they've yeah. Go ahead.
1: I I would definitely put them further on that end of the spectrum, like towards Goofy. Like they're definitely closer to Goofy than Bambi. You know, so like I'm I'm definitely, um, I'm like yeah, definitely they move that direction. (laughs) They're wearing clothes and they you know they fight with swords and and bows and arrows and uh, play the the loot or whatever you know
0: but they've picked a lane in a way that the aristocats haven't
1: yes yeah i think that's what i was i was trying to say
0: yeah that's interesting do you know why they're animals no and like, i was, do you know the history
1: i i don't know the history i i do have a quote um but i don't so I, the 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 quote kind of comes after why so do you know the why
0: I do. Yeah, they were going to make a movie about Reynard the Fox, who is a French folk hero, but apparently I don't know much about those legends, but apparently they decided that it would be a little too adult uh for a children's movie, so they just took the characters they designed and turned them into Robin Hood. I think I think that's correct.
1: Okay, that sounds that sounds like something that would happen. <laughs> Definitely. Um yeah, Ken Anderson, uh, who is the, the director of the story and character concepts, uh, his quote was that he knew right off the bat that Sly Robin Hood must be a fox, and from there it was logical that Maid Marian should be a pretty vixen. Little John, legendarily known for his size, was easy a big overgrown bear. Um Friar Tuck is great as a badger, but he was also great as a pig, <laughs> as I had originally planned. But then I thought the symbol of a pig might be offensive to the church, so we changed him. Richard the Lionhearted, of course, had to be a regal, proud, strong lion. Um, so, like you know, a lot of the characters, it, it, it almost it came out of their their personality what what animal they were in a way. There's yeah,
0: that, it, it definitely works. There's like that, that symbolism.
1: It? Yeah, there's that symbolism happening. Um. But yeah, I was I was going to ask you actually a similar question of uh you know what what is gained or lost or accentuated I don't know like what's right what what the right uh, adjective is but um you know from them being animals and not being people
0: I think kids must like it more I mean I, I I definitely think that's one reason that this is so beloved is because you know they're cute they're not they're not people and the movie would have been good if they were but it would have looked Much more like the, is it 1937? The Errol Flynn Robin Hood, Mm. on which this is clearly based. But making them animals allows them to use some of the same set pieces that they would have used if it was a human-based, but it feels totally different.
1: Yeah, This is
0: also the movie that launched a million furries, I'm sad to say.
1: (laughs) A million furries?
0: You don't know what the furries are? No, I missed that. Oh yeah, this is a. I think largely it began on the internet, but it has uh, slithered its way into real life. These are people who are sexually attracted to anthropomorphized animals.
1: Oh okay okay, like uh, yeah. <laughs> There's the. Yeah. The, I'm, the, I'm trying to remember the joke. It, I can't remember what movie it's in. I think it's a Mike Myers movie where he's like attracted to the to when Bugs Bunny dresses up as a girl. Okay. Right, uh,
0: but I, I mean, I think even a sizable percentage of non-furries, their first crush was made Marian or Robin Hood. You know what I mean? They're they're very good-looking foxes. I feel weird saying this. <laughs> yeah, since I am not a furry, must right. be said.
1: Yeah, um, yeah, I, I yeah, I, I, so, but I, I think going back to what you were saying, like I do, I do think there's a there's a, a an appeal to the kids. And there's a, there's a, but I, I'm more interested, I think, in the different feel, like the fact that it feels different because it's a, because it's animals and not humans. Like, I wonder if that, um, in some ways, like lowers our, uh, defensiveness so that we can, so that the story can tell us things that it wouldn't necessarily be able to tell us if it was, you know, the same story with, with humans.
0: I like that. What what do you have in mind for what it's telling us?
1: I'm not exactly sure what the story is telling us, though. That's the problem. Is like I I I don't know that they capitalized on that, but I I wonder if like, um, for example, a story like, uh, um, you know, Finding Dory or something, uh, which which more clearly has you know some some big themes in it if it works better as as a um as an animal tale where and i would Mm. and i would put that movie further down the line actually more towards the the bambi because it also it it's very necessary that it's that they're animals in that one you know like they're not just well also they
0: interact with humans and this is this is just um, purely animals. There's no people in this movie.
1: Yeah. But I I don't know. So like, just to keep it on the the story of Robin Hood, I'm not, I, I mean, there's a, there's obviously a message here about greed um, and uh, the dangers of greed, um, maybe something with oppression. And then, uh, uh, and then, you know, positively the, the call for justice and um, the appeal of, of justice of, of, um, what, what does, uh, what does the, um, there's, there's a couple of lines in this movie about, about hope. Um, one is, uh, with, with Friar Tuck in the, in the, um, after everybody's been jailed, Friar Tuck says, you know, maybe, maybe hearing the church bells will still, will still give some hope. And then, uh, uh, when, when Robin Hood comes to the, to the birthday party. And, uh, I think the, the mother rabbit says something like you do, you do so much to keep our hopes alive. So I think, you know, maybe some of those themes, um, would be the message that they're trying to get through to us.
0: Sure. And you, you have the unjust law idea that Robin Hood is an outlaw, but he's an outlaw for doing the right thing. He doesn't keep the money he's stealing. He's giving it back to the people from whom it was stolen. So he's the, the breaker of the unjust law and thus himself just,
1: yeah. But I am curious how that plays. I mean, it seems like all those themes would potentially be found in any other Robin Hood movie with with human characters, you know. So, I think you're more familiar with the other Robin Hoods and maybe even with the source material than I am, which is a, a very low bar cuz I have no familiarity. So, <laughs> um
0: Yeah, I don't either. I've not I've not read any of the source material. Uh, okay.
1: Uh yeah, so I, I didn't know if you had anything um, that this movie particularly highlights on those points um, that maybe a human Robin Hood wouldn't have.
0: I can't think of anything. I I really think they're basically human, and they were just chosen. Um, they were chosen based on the characteristics of the animals, you know. Yeah, Ro- Robin Hood is clever, so if he's going to be a fox, and right, uh, the the uh, sheriff is predatory, so he's going to be a wolf.
1: Yeah, I wonder if it does then just go back to the fact that, you know, it's it's, you know, the reason they didn't make that other French folktale was cuz, you know, this is this is more palpable palpable for children. And so in that way, in that way it works, you know, like in that way you can talk about some of these, you know, not even talk about but just, you know, implant in the imagination some of these larger themes, more adult themes, but because they're coming from, you know, a cute fox and a you know a, uh, you know a silly uh, chicken and stuff like that. That it that it it can resonate for the whole family, I guess.
0: Sure, I mean the interesting thing about Robin Hood movies is th- there's a there's a trend of making them kind of bleak and realistic. There's that. Uh, what I heard, I never watched it. The the terrible Ridley Scott, uh, Russell Crowe. Robin Hood from 2010, and then there's Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, which is pretty dreary. Those don't really work, right? Because the, the Robin Hood I think most people like is the very dashing, joyful Robin Hood. And maybe using animals makes it even more dashing and joyful because it, it lets you it lets you see this as not real. Whereas, I mean, objectively, the story is kind of horrible, right? You have this pretender to the throne who is... Uh, pillaging his people like taxing them into abject poverty there's a terrible scene where it's skippy's birthday and everybody in the family has scrimped and saved she says to give him a farthing which is a penny you you know what i mean yeah but because because they're rabbits and it, you, we can laugh about it and because uh because prince john sucks his thumb and cries for his mommy
1: right well, I don't know what kind of monster you are laughing through the rabbit scene because that that is a it's a tearjerker of a of a moment, Michael.
0: Yeah, I didn't. I didn't. I'm <laughs> sorry. I didn't mean I laughed at that scene. <laughs> but you can you can kind of forget about it. Because,
1: no, yeah, no. There's a lot of yeah. there's a lot of very funny stuff in this movie, and I do. I wonder actually if that's if that's um, the thing is that there's a, the the whole thing with Robin Hood kind of bringing hope and light, a lightness to a very heavy and dark situation. If he does it as a human, then, you know, and it's a human tale, then it can come off as either extremely cheesy or the bleakness is just not bleak enough, you know, like, uh, one or the other. And then, but if you do it with animals, uh, you can have those bleak moments. Um, and you can, but the whole thing overall has a more lighthearted tone that, that is acceptable.
0: Yeah, and you know maybe the reason that people have most of most of us have trouble accepting the Dower Robin Hood. I don't know anything about the original stories, but maybe the reason we have trouble accepting the Dower Robin Hood is because so many of us grew up on this, and and before that, the uh, Errol Flynn Robin Hood. Which again, this adds a great deal to that.
1: Yeah, I've it not I've, I've not seen that one either. So
0: I'd... it's it's good. I mean, it's it's. Um, it's it's Errol Flynn. I mean, there's there's lots of fun sword fighting, and um, Olivia De Havilland plays Maid Marian, to whom the performance, Monica Evans's performance in this movie owes a great deal. Uh, but this one's better. I, I I really do believe that.
1: Yeah, I think this is a great this is a great movie, and I think a lot of that uh, actually the credit kind of goes to uh, Larry Clemens, who is the the scriptwriter. I I love the language in this movie. Um, if you if you haven't watched it with uh, the, the subtitles on I, I encourage you to Because there's There's so much That kind of like they, they just fire through it But there, there's just A lot of really fun uh, Words and language In here um, What's your favorite? Oh I, I'm not sure um, Maybe uh, Oh man I, I wrote down A whole bunch of them um, You know Prince Prince John Calls the The uh, The The townspeople Insolent musical peasants <laughs> <laughs> Which I think is really good. Um the uh the one of the vultures calls calls Robin Hood a Snoopy old codger. Um
0: <laughs> When he, when he's dressed as the blind man. Yeah.
1: Man. But then there's also just words like che <laughs> <they're> just great. <laughs> C- criminally, isn't that what Yeah, the,
0: criminally.
1: That the, uh he calls oh he calls Robin Hood Scissorbill. Um Of course Udalali. Udalali, yeah.
0: I think my favorite is I am Sir Reginald, Duke of Chutney. <laughs>
1: yeah, that's just, yeah. So great. Yeah, there's, there's just a lot, there are a lot of really great ones. So, he, oh, he, uh, he, um, he sentences to him to sudden, instant, and even immediate death. <laughs> so, I don't know, there's just a lot. A lot of good. Um, oh, and speaking of Sir Reginald, he says, uh, let me, uh. When he says, Let me lay some protocol on you <laughs> when he's when he's gonna go I the like when hand. he sits
0: on Sir Hiss and says, Oh, sorry, Buster. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and again, I mean that's that's Phil Harris playing Phil Harris's radio persona to some extent. But yeah, you're right. This script and maybe maybe that's the reason it's so much better than the Aristocats, is that it, it really snaps in a way that movie doesn't and, and in some ways I think the script here is even better in terms of dialogue than the, the jungle book script.
1: Yeah, I agree. I actually, um, I think depending on which one I've watched most recently, the, they, those two vie in my, in my head as which one I actually enjoy more. I think Jungle Book is the better movie in an, maybe in an objective sense, whatever that means. Um, but as far as, you know, which one just brings me so much joy watching them. I I, re- I really, I love both of them. I put them, I put them on nearly the same level.
0: This has to be one of the most joyous movies ever made, right? I mean, it's just, other than a few scenes where it gets bleak, everything in this movie just makes you want to jump up and down.
1: Yeah, and I, I remember that very much as a kid, and, and my kids, it's the same way, you know, like, especially the big, you know, so after Robin Hood is out, like, the stork is is discovered that it's Robin Hood, um, and then there's that big fight scene, you know, and it's just, uh, it's I mean, it's a fight scene, but it's, so, it's just so fun. <laughs> you know. Like there's... Well, and
0: there's so many different parts to it. Mm-hmm. So um, every single part is really good. And then th- they're all added together. And it's just chaos in a really wonderful way. Yeah. My favorite shot in the movie is from that. And it's very small. I, I don't know that i would noticed it before I watched it this time. Um, but there's a scene where Robin Hood is sword fighting with the rhinoceros guards. And they've got battle axes. And he's just... He's so casual about it. The way he's holding the sword, it's like he's just waving it back and forth. It doesn't look like he's trying at all. Yeah. Uh, it's just a wonderful shot.
1: Yeah, he's the ultimate, like, cool hero in that whole thing. Because, like, yeah, because he's dialoguing with Maid Marian the whole time, you know, proposing to her and, you know, uh, suggesting honeymoon locations and and all this stuff while their, while their lives seem to be in, in, in danger.
0: And all of that owes quite a bit to Errol Flynn, not just in Adventures of Robin Hood, but in all his movies. That's very much his persona. And and the other place, this is going the opposite direction. This is going later rather than earlier. I think that gets echoed in the scene in the third Pirates of the Caribbean movie where, uh, what's his name? I was going to call him Will Scarlet. Will Turner and Elizabeth Swan are getting married during a sword fight. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) which to me is the best scene in any of those movies. And that owes a lot to this movie and it owes a lot to Errol Flynn as well. So um, yeah, that, that fight scene is amazing.
1: Yeah. I was thinking
0: nothing of lady cluck being on the Wisconsin badgers football team.
1: That's right. Which is just a a wonderful moment. Well, I asked my kids about this movie, about, you know, what, what, what they love about this movie. That, that's what, that was the first thing they brought up was lady cluck. And um, yeah, she's just the best.
0: I saw you posting to, to Twitter about how much you love Lady Cluck.
1: Yeah. I was actually trying to subtweet you, cause, but I couldn't find your old tweet about, uh, um, I, you know, way back when we were doing Cinderella, you said Gus Gus was the best, like, side character in the canon. I was going to say maybe Lady Cluck would eat would eat Gus Gus. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, you know, I think you're right. I, I think Lady Cluck is better than Gus Gus. <laughs>
1: yeah. That yeah could...
0: She's a, she's amazing
1: she's she's a force of nature and, you know and 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 she's great not only like in that fight scene but the other thing that's great about her is how quickly and easily she she um she'll play with with the kids you know so uh skippy yeah. skippy throws shoots his arrow over the castle wall and you know he's in there and of course he's terrified uh when he's when he's found but then she immediately turns it into a game and and you know she plays the part of prince john and um has him you know helps him become the hero in that moment where he's really you know fearful and i just yeah i think it's really great
0: she's very gentle when she needs to be so so you, you should, they could have just made her this kind of fat grumpy uh woman but instead instead you're right she she's very tender with those children
1: mm-hmm and she's also got the wisdom. I mean, she's she's just a very it's amazing what what a full range of character she is for the small amount of of movie time she has. You know, because then after that, she also has the quiet moment with with Maid Marian, where she's you know um, encouraging her and telling her absence makes the heart grow fonder. You know, um, so yeah, really, I really like her.
0: She owes quite a bit to the nurse i think in shakespeare's romeo and juliet and also to a moliere play called tartuffe uh, there's a there's a kind of body maid character i think her name is doreen in that in that play uh that I, th- I think goes into lady cluck's dna
1: that's really that's interesting what's the uh <laughs> I'm, I, yeah you have to give me a synopsis i don't i don't know anything about that
0: Tartuffe is a play about a religious hypocrite. He he's a, a kind of religious con man who gets who who convinces this French nobleman that he's legit and he he's quietly stealing his money and trying to seduce his wife. It's a funny play. Tartuffe um, is actually still a word they use in French to mean hypocrite. It comes from that play. It's funny. Yeah. I mean it's it, it's a good play. Is it? But yeah, d- definitely Lady Cluck. I don't. I don't know if 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 Doreen is just a cultural type that Lady Cluck is also, or whether somebody consciously thought, "Oh, we should make her more like Doreen," but she's definitely in that line.
1: Yeah, that's really, and that's that's one of the fun parts about doing this episode, these uh, episodes with you, Michael, is that you can you can trace the DNA uh, so well into these characters. So I appreciate you doing that and and bringing that up.
0: I'm going to deflect that compliment with a silly observation, which is, uh, I love that they spell her name with a K instead of a C. <laughs> Lady, Lady Cluck with a K. And down with that scurvy Prince John! Yeah! All the world will sing of an English king a thousand years from now And not because he passed some laws or had that lofty brow. While Bonnie Good King Richard leads the great crusades on We'll all have to slave away for that good-for-nothing John Incredible as he is inept Whenever the history books are kept They'll call him the phony king of England of <laughs> So, the phony king of England is one of the best songs in the Disney canon. Wouldn't you say?
1: For sure, and it's so it's it's so perfectly timed um, in this movie. Uh, I feel like um, when I was a kid watching this, I would I would always. Be so bored during the the love song <laughs> right before it, and so then this is a this is a major pick me up afterwards. Um,
0: Written not by anybody in the Disney staff, but by uh, Johnny Mercer, probably best known for writing Moon River and Accentuate the Positive, and many other uh, many other songs from the Great American Songbook.
1: Yeah, I really um, like you said. There's so much. Uh, reused animation in this scene, but it's still, it just really works. It's just, it's just like, uh, the, it's, it's so catchy. It's fun. Um, you know, all the characters, there's a, there's a, there's an air, there's a, there's a sense of victory, you know? Um, of course, after this, things are going to get real dark and bleak, but, um, you know, this, this is that high point in the, in the, in the journey for our heroes where, where things seem to be looking up.
0: Victoria told me I, there's a, there was a conference, and I don't know if this is true or a legend, but there was an early modern conference where I guess early modernists divide into camps as to which kings they prefer. And the anti-King John faction apparently spontaneously sang this song to mock the pro-King John faction in this early modern conference.
1: Well that's just wonderful.
0: (laughs) Isn't it? I like the idea that they would all just know it.
1: (laughs) Yeah, but how could you not? It is it's it's so catchy and um yeah, I mean even uh even the Sheriff of Nottingham knows it.
0: (laughs) So yeah. (laughs) Well it's funny the song is what ends up making Prince John angry enough to uh really destroy the the town. I mean, at some point, if you bleed your people too dry, they're not going to be able to give you anything else. So the, the song upsets him to the point where he acts against his own best interest in some ways.
1: Yeah, it's the, it's the humiliation of it that that really drives him. But before we get, Which, to-
0: I mean, you would be humiliated too, right? Too late to be known <laughs> as John the First. He's sure to be known as John the Worst. <laughs> Yeah. Which is nonsense. He is John the First. There's there's no other King John in England.
1: Oh, really? I don't I don't know my I don't know my royals very well, so.
0: Well, K- King John is actually really important because it's because of King John that they wrote the Magna Carta, which is the the foundational document of British law and it's it's what takes some of the power away from the monarch and gives it to the parliament. And King John signs that. And I don't know enough to know whether he does it because he's uh because he thinks it's a good idea or he does it because he's so corrupt that they made him do it or they cut off his head. I don't know which one of those is true.
1: Yeah. It's funny that you mentioned that because uh, just this morning I was talking to some middle schoolers and we're actually doing uh, Robin Hood here as a, as a play. And um, so they they told me that and I, I had no idea. I knew what the Magna Carta was. Um, I'm not that uh, historically illiterate, but I didn't realize that it was tied to the story. So. It's really
0: Yeah. Well, and it's funny because there's that line in the song um the world will sing of an English king a thousand years from now, and not because he passed some law or had that lofty brow. Well, actually, the thing other than <laughs> other than this song, the thing we know about him is he passed a law. It's the, the one thing people know about King John that doesn't come from Robin Hood. Yeah.
1: that's <laughs> really great. <laughs> I have
0: heard that I mean, obviously, this presentation of, of Prince John is not fair, but I've heard that in, in some ways he was actually a better king than Richard.
1: Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. but
0: I, I'm certainly not capable of making that judgment.
1: Yeah, well, my my entire knowledge of this this comes out of the goofy exposition at the at the beginning of the movie when um, <laughs> Hiss is his accidentally says that King Richard's uh, crown looks good on your noble brow and and they have that whole argument and and the, the <laughs> it's such a weird part of the movie um, because we're just meeting these characters for the first time. Uh, Robin Robin Hood and Little John are about to rob them in their carriage and uh, they go through this whole backstory of you know why King Richard is away because his hypnotized him and sent him on the crusade and it's, it's really it's wild it's a wild bit of exposition but that's my whole knowledge of this this time period of England so
0: and of course I mean Richard wanted the Crusades he was a apparently a very war hungry king so it but that's so unacceptable in 1973 and even more accept, unacceptable in 2019 that the only way they can justify the Crusades is saying, oh, well, it's Prince John's idea. <laughs> right. <laughs> but, of course, I mean, I, I suspect the reason taxes went up during that era is because they had to pay for the Crusades.
1: Yeah. Well.
0: well see, So you can understand why there would be a pro-King John uh, faction at the that, that conference.
1: Yeah, that makes sense.
0: <laughs> but there's no song against Richard the Lionheart. Anymore.
1: That's right. Yeah, cuz every I also
0: read there's a real period ballad called The Bastard King of England that's about King John and that this song is a reference to that. Obviously they couldn't call it The Bastard King of England.
1: <laughs> yeah, that wouldn't that wouldn't quite fly. <laughs> wouldn't pass the Disney censorship rules. Yeah. The other thing I noticed in here, um this is this is just a uh, quite a side note, but um you know, they do that little puppet show during the um during the song, and uh, the, I've been reading a book on on Jim Henson and and the way he revolutionized puppets. I feel like these puppets are are quite anachronistic. <laughs> I think they're they're more influenced by the Muppets than uh, than uh, than puppets probably would have been at that time period. Even though obviously puppets but, have been a lo- around that long.
0: Did the Muppets exist in 1970? I guess Sesame Street started in the late 60s, didn't they?
1: Um, yeah, I forget the exact years, but definitely. Um, you know, before he, before Sesame Street, um, and before really the Muppets as we know them, he he had already made huge influence because uh, he was, you know, he was doing a lot of TV work, but he was doing it on sketch shows and he was doing it in um, uh, um, uh, commercials. Commercials, yeah. He was, yeah. I don't know why that word wasn't coming to my head, but yeah, commercials. So, yeah, definitely. I, I and mean, it's around the same the same period i think i I'd, I'd have to go back and look at the dates in my in my book and make sure that i'm i'm right on that but when when i saw it in there just you know because i've been reading it i was like oh that that seems to make sense that you know that's kind of in the air
0: i i think the puppets are also supposed to be a reference to punch and judy shows which is this hyper violent uh type of puppetry in the early modern period punch and judy were a married couple who hated each other and they would take turns beating Beating each other up with a stick.
1: Yeah, yeah. There, there's there's probably multiple influences in there, for sure. But I think um, I think uh, Henson was w- w- one of his big innovations was using the the human hands as the puppet hands, which you know, Friar. Oh Tuck, yeah, and they do that, don't they? Yeah, Friar Friar Tuck reaches through to to you know to to bash him with the stick. So whereas you know, I I don't know, I'd have to see if there's any punch and judy you know if there's any video of those punch and judies but um i imagine that they were you know the the puppets the arm on a stick on a you know on a on a rod that would have done that that's my guess yeah
0: that's probably that's probably i don't know obviously there's no period videos
1: <laughs> yeah so anyway i that's quite far afield. but <laughs> while we were do- no, while, no, no, while no. we were on the song i just thought i'd throw that out there cuz it's kind of Kind of interesting to me.
0: The other songs are all written by Roger Miller, and they're all pretty great, except maybe not in Nottingham.
1: Yeah, I, I think actually, not in Nottingham isn't isn't so bad. I I, I think through throughout this movie, uh, the the songs are all, all really good, and um, it's funny, not in Nottingham. Uh, I I didn't notice it until this 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 watching, but um, the first time we see, um. The sheriff of Nottingham. He's singing a version of Not Nottingham, like when he's when he's oh, first coming he? to town. Yeah, um, he's got some different words in it. Something about uh, collecting the taxes. But um, yeah, it's I. And I think this is so. I think this is something that maybe we want to touch on is the the difference between the villainy of the sheriff versus the villainy of. Um, Prince John, and then some of their similarities too, we can kind of compare and contrast them, but Prince John seems really out of touch with everything, right? Like yeah, he he surrounds himself with Sir Hiss is basically, you know, his only advisor. Um, (laughs) you know, the only person that we ever really see him talk to, I guess in the, in the box he does have Maid Marian there. Um, but, um, yeah, he, he seems really disconnected, whereas, whereas um, the sheriff is the one that we see interacting all the time with the townspeople. And he, he seems to really know them. Um, and, uh, yeah, like, he, like, like we were just saying, like he knows the song, you know, like, how, how do you learn it? Like, obviously, he's, he's close enough to the people that, that somehow he picked up on it.
0: And he seems to have no particular respect for Prince John. This is just something he... He he cozies up to him so that he can also become rich, right? Both of them are played for laughs, but both of them, if you if you look at it objectively, are really kind of terrifying, right? The things that the things that the sheriff does, uh, stealing the we've talked about stealing the farthing from Skippy on his birthday, but I mean, robbing the poor box at the church, and uh, the the scene where he. Beats that dog with the broken leg on his cast. Yeah, the, the, that's the one the I was thinking about
1: out. too. Yeah, and that's—I mean—that's the first scene where we see him. So that's really setting up his character for us. Is watching him, uh, you know, watching him beat the beat the dog on the cast. It's, it's like you said. It's it's uh, it's in in any other movie, it would be the, those things would be so bleak. <laughs> you know, it'd be it'd be hard to watch.
0: But uh, and part of it the, there too is that is Pat Butram's performance. His his voice is so difficult to take seriously as a villain because it's so silly. Uh, but yeah, that that's a really well drawn villain. In that, if you if you want to pay attention enough, you can see how evil he truly is. But if you're just a kid, you can watch it and not be afraid of him.
1: Yeah, the voice is is really something because it, I was so yeah. That was almost my question was something like is is he like. a a lovable villain or not. Um, and I don't think he is like, he's not lovable, but there's something about him, right? Like there, there, and it's, I mean, it's in that voice, you know, like, um, that makes him, I, I, I don't know what the right word for it is. He's not, he's not terrifying. Although if you, obviously, if you were actually in the, in the world, he would be terrifying.
0: Yeah, I think part of it is that he's as joyful as everybody else in the movie.
1: Yeah, he sings you know, a he's lot. always whistling.
0: Yeah, <laughs> he kind of he kind of floats along. I mean, he he very much belongs in the merry men in that sense. Yeah, um, he's, got, Prince he's got he's got a little swagger. Not uh, part of it is he's very secure uh, of himself, sure of himself. Whereas Prince John is really defined by his insecurity. He knows that he's not really the king. There's these frequent scenes where the crown is too big for his head and it keeps slipping down.
1: Yeah, which is part of the uh, the animation in this movie that I think is just really wonderful. Like I think uh, again, like we're seeing th- these these character animators at their peak form, even though they're working with, um, you know, limited resources. So there's a lot of, of those kind of sight gags in this movie, um, with the crown falling down with the, you know, I love that opening scene with, uh, Robin Hood and little John, like getting dressed in the, in their disguise as they're running. Like, I just think that's a, a real lovely piece of animation. Um, the, the sheriff of Nottingham and his, you know, the, just the way he walks and his swagger when he when he gets into the fight with um the uh, with Friar Tuck and their you know their bellies are just bouncing off of each other and then a lot of the facial work too you know like when uh when Little John is is smelling Robin Hood's um burning soup you know like so it, it's in the small details and also in the in kind of those bigger broader moments that I think the animation really is 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 quite well the character work is really quite well done in this movie
0: the the tremendous shot of him pulling the limp carrot out of the stew and just tossing (laughs) it away
1: yeah yeah that's all there's a lot of really really great sight things in this movie
0: the animation is all very smooth I I and it, it would have to be given how loose this movie is. So I again you see that during the archery scene, that the shot where uh the stork is the stork Robin Hood as the stork is about to take his shot and uh and the sheriff pushes his bow up and in a single fluid motion he uh Robin Hood just shoots another arrow to knock it down.
1: Yeah, that's that's like the most <laughs> I mean, you were talking earlier about the nonchalance of the of the fight with the rhinos. But I feel like this is another scene where it's just like, man, Robin Hood is the coolest. Like, he's just the best, you know? Like, he's so and, calm. And in fact, the,
0: and the, s- the only time in the movie where he looks frightened or nervous at all is the very end where he's on top of the burning tower. Like, his his face is pure terror. And it's really effective mm-hmm. because we've come to expect him. Um, to be completely nonchalant about everything.
1: Yeah, he can get out of anything. So
0: Have you seen the original ending?
1: Um, I just saw it on Wikipedia. Um, I haven't seen the actual... I guess it was released on one of the DVDs. Um, you could actually watch it, but I just saw the synopsis of it. Have you actually seen it's it? It's just
0: storyboards, and then um, and really bad impressionists of the voices. So they, they never actually animated it, but oh, man. So he in, in, the, in the alternate ending, he gets wounded, and Little John has to save him, and he takes him to the church, and Prince John follows him, and he's about to kill him, and then King Richard shows up. But it's... It doesn't work at all and, and I think the reason it doesn't work is because we don't want Robin Hood to be injured. He needs to be essentially immortal, uh, in order for this movie to work.
1: Right. We def like Skippy is definitely our proxy in the movie, you know. Like uh he wants to be Robin Hood, which who doesn't want to be <laughs> Robin Hood after watching this movie, you know? Um I, I mean even uh and then, yeah, he's the one who's rooting for him and believes, you know, the whole time, like, he's going to be okay. Um, so, yeah.
0: And, and, and I mean, the, the the great moment there is, you know, he has survived by this hollow reed that he's breathing through. I don't know how that works, but apparently it does. And the first thing he does when he comes over to them is spray Little John in the face. <laughs> yeah. It's,
1: just, <laughs> it's such a, again, it's just that lightheartedness. Yeah. Um, it's just really pleasant and so joyful and light, like like we keep saying, we keep using these same same adjectives to describe this.
0: Well, because ultimately Robin Hood and Little John are eleven year old boys, right? The the things they enjoy are things eleven year old boys would enjoy. Uh even even when they dress up, it seems like it's less because they have to dress up and more just because they enjoy dressing up.
1: <laughs> yeah. I love that they dress up. I think it's so funny. <laughs> yeah. And I, and I love that the, the sheriff says, I can see through his phony disguises. Yeah, but not, none of them ever can, except, yeah. uh,
0: except Sir Hiss, yeah. who nobody ever listens to anyway.
1: Yeah. Hiss is a great, another bit of great animation. You know, they really do some great stuff with him, with the, uh, you know, there, there's the scene in the basket where it's, like it looks like he has his arms crossed because of the way you know his his body is folding out. I'm I'm really impressed by the way they they work with snakes because there's so little to work with there. I think I mentioned it in Jungle Book too with um, uh whatever, Kaa. Kaa, yeah. You know, just the the ability to get so much personality into a snake like that is is quite remarkable, and his adorable little hat. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Yeah, and we made a misstatement in the Jungle Book, which Alexis Neal corrected us on on Facebook. You didn't see this because you're not on Facebook. Uh, Obviously, Sir Hiss is not played by Sterling Holloway. He's played by Terry. Did you catch his name?
1: Mm, Terry Thomas? Is that right?
0: Maybe, yeah. But that's why Sir Hiss has the gap between his two front teeth. Apparently, that was a reference to the actor. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's a great performance, even though it's not Sterling Holloway. Yeah,
1: he is a great performance. He's a very hairy snake, though. That's the one thing about the animation that drives me a little crazy, is he's you know like the way the way he's drawn, it it looks he's not sleek and smooth. He he looks like he's he's fuzzy.
0: You don't think that kind of works? Oh, it does. He's 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 so much less smooth in general than Ka is.
1: That's a good point. Yeah.
0: I love the scene where he's flying in the balloon somehow, <laughs> and uh, Alan A and, and Friar Tuck use the loot to shoot an arrow and pop the balloon, and then they they pound him into the uh, the keg of ale, and he says, "I don't drink." <laughs> yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah, another yeah, just great. Again, just the great writing on this movie is really great. There's another part in that movie too, or in the, in this movie, yeah, there's another duh in this movie, that's what we're talking about. But another part in that same like time frame where, um, when, when the battle goes into full action and, and, uh, Prince, Prince John is escaping from his box and goes to hide behind that, that same, um, uh, barrel of ale that, that hisses in. But that, that part of it, that, like when he falls out of the box, the way that he falls out of the box, and like uh, his hind legs are still running, and he kind of like crumples up, and then he, you know, finally gets a hold of himself and gets behind the, the the barrel, and then his tail's still sticking out, and he pulls his tail in. Like that that whole sequence is just so wonderful. Like from a just from the animation perspective, it's so funny. It's so like it's it's the it's the things only animation can really do. You know, like that, yeah that, absolutely that physical humor that. That only works because it's it's fully animated
0: So, so if, I mean If you want your Robin Hood to be joyful That's why this movie's better than all the other ones
1: Yeah, for sure Definitely Robin Hood and Little John Walking through the forest Laughing back and forth at what the other one Has to say Reminiscing this and that And having such a good time oodle lolly, oodle lolly golly What a day Never, ever thinking there was danger in the water They were drinking, they just guzzled it down Never dreaming that a scheming sheriff and his posse Was watching them and gathering around Robin Hood and Little John running through the forest Jumping fences, dodging trees and trying to get away Contemplating nothing but escape and finally making it Oodle-lolly, oodle-lolly, golly, what a day Well, I had another question for you that was, uh, maybe this could, (laughs) maybe it's a little less joyful, but I, I can't remember where I heard you. I don't remember if you tweeted about this or if you were talking about it on one of your other episodes. Um, but, uh, you were talking about how sometimes a movie movies will shape our imaginations towards violence and actually Um, wanting the violence um, and how that's not necessarily something good to foster within ourselves. Do you remember where you're talking about that?
0: It's a, it's a thing I talk about sometimes. I don't remember. (laughs) I I never remember anything I say.
1: I think it's a really good point. And I, I, so where I noticed it in this movie actually is in the church scene where Friar Tuck is there and um, uh, the sheriff of Nottingham comes in and steals from the poor box. Um, And then uh, Friar Tuck goes crazy and says, get out of my church, you know, and is blasting him out of the church and they get into the fight in the the graveyard. And you really, uh, caught up in that moment and rooting for, for Friar Tuck, you know, you really want Friar Tuck to win. And, um, but, but here he is as a, you know, a friar and, um, you know, is this really what we want to be rooting for? Is is our friars, um, <laughs> you know, uh, resorting to violence rather than you know calling to repentance? I just I, I don't know. That kind of struck me in this this time this viewing.
0: Yeah, that I mean, and I think part of the the issue here is that he's acting so out of character. Not just he's a man of the church resorting to violence, but also Friar Tuck is the most merry of all the merry men, and he um, that that he is so angry really shows you how transgressive it is to, to rob the church.
1: Right. And
0: in, in real life, of course, there's almost nothing the sheriff could have done. I, I mean, because the the church was a autonomous entity and almost as powerful, if not more powerful, than the state. I, I think robbing the church would have been a really, really terrible idea. And Of course, they never would have been able to execute him. I, I mean, the, the church would have gone nuts over it.
1: Yeah, but...
0: I was kind of hoping that the Pope would show up and just crack <laughs> crack the Sheriff of Nottingham over the head.
1: Yeah. Just trying to
0: figure out what kind of animal the Pope would be.
1: Yeah. Well, I'm just, I'm imagining it like, I, I, I always go back to that that smoky bear um, in the, the Humphrey the Bear. <laughs> smoky bear just, you know, the Pope just pops in as like a cutout and, and whacks him. Um <clears throat> But yeah, I don't know that that idea of I mean, obviously, the, the, the movie needs it, you know. So I'm I'm not arguing that they sh- that they should have told the story differently. But I, I do wonder about that idea of, you know, how how um, the the shaping of our imaginations and that idea of like, oh, you know, here's a you know, here's a who should somebody who should be more in line with with uh, this whole idea of redemption and grace and forgiveness, um, just totally losing it and going towards violence and you're rooting for it. You know, you're rooting for it the whole time. You, you want him to succeed in that.
0: Uh, You don't want him to kill him, right? You just want to crack him over the head. Uh,
1: (laughs) I don't know. I don't know what I wanted when I was a kid. I'll, I'll tell you what, like I, that scene, I always got, I got so mad at the birds flying in and making it an unfair fight. You know, like I, 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 I don't, I, yeah i i don't know that i would say that i wanted him to kill him but definitely um you feel the justice of his position but um I mean, which which you mentioned you know like I, I think he is in the just position as far as like you can't steal from the church and you know the church would actually probably have more power than a sheriff at that time period and all that sort of stuff but the 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 violence of it is you know the part i mean this is not the lighthearted fun violence of the fight scene earlier where they're getting hit in the, you know, hit in the face with pies and, and Robin's completely nonchalant. This is a much more brutal sort of fight scene, you know, with the the rain and it's in a graveyard and it's, you know, it's a stick versus a sword and it, and the music, I don't, I don't know. It's just, it's a very different feel to me. And I just, I do wonder about that, you know, in a kid's film, shaping our imaginations towards that love of, of, uh, of violent retribution. Rather. There is a
0: very small detail in Friar Tuck's cell. I don't know if you noticed this. I didn't. I saw it online. Uh, Friar Tuck has written forgive them on the wall. Right. The
1: yeah, I did notice that. So there is a you know, there is even a redemptive arc in his story in that way, you know, where, you know, maybe he recognizes like, oh I you know, I I, I shouldn't have done it that way. Um.
0: Maybe all I can say is that it's not as bad as Prince of Thieves where Friar Tuck pushes the archbishop out the window yeah which is the best scene in that movie um and and which really uh, I, I shouldn't be so excited about
1: <laughs> well that was why i wanted to ask you because you do talk about this or, or say these things sometimes and I, I do wonder like you know from a from a storytelling standpoint um you know how it's it's a very different story if you don't have that you know those those um you know the 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 bad guys losing to the good guys, you know, and often in a violent way. Um, yeah. So, what's the... I guess
0: one defense you could make is that Friar Tuck, he's not shooting to kill here, as far as we can tell, and he is defending the innocent in a way. And I mean, I, just war theory, I think probably he had the right to do that. I think. Uh, I, I think the church would probably say. I don't know though.
1: Yeah, I don't know either. So. Anyway, I just I, I uh something something that you had said at one point it just it, it rang in my mind as I was watching this movie and thinking about things that we could potentially talk about. The other thing I wanted to talk about in that scene though actually was the uh the uh that you might have something on um is the ritual nature of it, right? Like um so prior to, prior to the fight, the hopeful part of the scene when uh you know Friar Tuck is there and he's ringing the church bells um in order to give hope and it's like he, he uh he knows that the entire town is in prison, but he continues following the ritual because there's something about the ritual that in itself, that's powerful.
0: Yeah. And that, that reminds the people in the prison, maybe that there's a power beyond the state.
1: Yeah. So I, I found that to be really charming and, or charming not even the right word for it, but um, yeah, a, a, this, this movie, it's definitely, um, it's got some religious elements to it, you know? Just, I mean I with...
0: enjoyed the reference to the widow's mite, which i I had never picked up on before that the the church mice give their last dime to to the poor box, and Friar Tuck says nobody could ever give any more,
1: yeah, 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 I noticed that too
0: and yeah, this must be one of the most positive portrayals of a religious figure in the last fifty years in film. <laughs>
1: Yeah, maybe so. I don't know if I'd go that far. Maybe, yeah, maybe so though. So, yeah, I like I I really like Fairtalk, so. Um, yeah, and I just I just think there's a lot of good stuff in there. Um, in contrast to, you know, the fact that King Richard's on the crusades and, you know, that's a lot of <laughs> that's kind of the dark side of this this time period of the re- in the religious history, I guess, or Christian history.
0: Well, and I mean Friar Tuck is typically portrayed as at least semi-hypocritical, right? I mean he he's a he's a friar who takes a vow of poverty, and he's consistently drunk and overweight, and so I mean that that's if you've read like the Canterbury Tales, he fits in pretty squarely in the line of hypocritical clergymen, and yet his his hypocrisy it, it's it's almost like he's hypocritical about the things that don't matter as much, but he's um, he's a man of God in ways that really count. Mm. He's less hypocritical in this one, though. You don't see him getting drunk all the time or anything.
1: Yeah, I don't see the hypocrisy in him, really. Um, yeah. I, again,
0: I, again, you compare him to Prince of Thieves or something like that, and you see Friar Friar Tuck. There is is a, ambi- a ambiguous figure in a way. He's just not here.
1: Yeah, I just I, I guess I just enjoy him so much here. So. Well, the other scene that my uh, kids really love is this this heist scene at the end um where they go in and they they free the prisoners and uh Robin Hood is you know getting all the money out of uh prince John's bedroom uh, which i I think there's something there too with just the you know the fact that he that he's surrounded himself with with just bags of money and he sleeps with one under his pillow and one under his arm um I don't know. There's there's a real there's a real corruption there. Um,
0: yeah, the ugliness of greed. Like he's not even spending this money. He just wants he fetishizes it.
1: Yeah, and it's his whole. Uh, I I don't know. I don't even know what you'd call it. Like it, it's it's the only place he's deriving comfort. And actually, this is another uh, you know perhaps redemptive uh, moment in this movie. Is uh, you know he's he's in the. Um, in the treasury, or in his throne room, or wherever, you know, it's all the treasury. He's got money everywhere, you know, just apparently piled around the castle. But uh, um, you know, his says to him, "You're not your, you're not your cheerful, genial self." <laughs> but he's just, he's locked in just this, this grimace. You know, um, all, he he can't get the, you know, none of this satisfies him. None of this is satisfying.
0: Yeah, in some ways, stealing his money is uh, is a good thing for his own soul. Although I'm, you know, he doesn't see it that way. Yeah. By the end, though, it's interesting. He's motivated more by revenge than greed. Like he seems happy at the end when he thinks Robin Hood is dead, even though he's lost every dime he has.
1: Oh, that's a that's a good point. But I like I like what you're saying there about like what's good for his soul. Um, yeah, this probably this movie does does do some work in that area. I, I suppose of. Um, you know, we don't, we don't see what happens to him beyond the, uh, the, the labor work, but, um, yeah, there, you, you can imagine it in that way, right? That, that this is actually, uh, this is the end of his redemptive arc is, um, you know, maybe he finds, um, you know, he, he finds some fullness in, in a, in a much more simple life.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, we certainly don't see that, but. (laughs) <laughs> save it for the fan fiction
1: yeah that's right
0: <laughs> let him join the church
1: yeah <clears throat> yeah maybe he will maybe there's a prison, Maybe there's a really strong prison ministry in Nottingham
0: <laughs> I thought that's uh, I think that's what they were going to do for the direct video sequel
1: yeah well you know I, I'm normally against those things but in this case I might I might be in, in favor of that I and mean, it makes sense right like the entire town has been in prison they understand the need for it, so I don't know. I think I think there's something there. Anyway, back back when, to the actual scene in the movie. you're a monarch and you
0: put all <laughs> of your subjects in prison, who are you the ruler over at that point?
1: <laughs> well, yeah. like, it, it's so
0: self-destructive.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, he's still got the uh, the rhinoceros and the uh, the elephants and the jackals that are apparently running around somehow. So. <laughs> That's something. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, this is a terrific scene with, with Robin Hood. Uh you know, uh Hiss his is is, you know, waking up because um he's he's tickling Prince John's feet uh while he's with his with his snoring and then Prince John kicks him in the face. And so Robin is is simultaneously, you know, uh, rocking him back to, I love that he sleeps in a little crib at the foot of (laughs) Prince John's bed. Michael Scott style. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. There's, there's just a lot of good stuff in here. And then the, the whole flight, um, from the jail once, once Prince John does wake up and alerts the guards, I always, I just loved, loved this whole, this I this is a really strong finish, this movie. I really always enjoyed it as a kid. And as an adult.
0: I I love that Robin at great personal risk makes sure to go ahead and steal all the money in that room. <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs>
0: Even if some of it you assume lawfully belongs to the state, I mean, it's not like it's not like King John doesn't or Prince John doesn't have the right to tax at some rate. It's just that he's, he taxes at too high a rate. I'm interested in the way the Robin Hood myth works, whether you're a liberal or a conservative. Because on the one hand, the Robin Hood myth is against taxation, but on the other hand, it's against the rich. So <laughs> and anybody can identify with him.
1: That's right. Everybody gets him. Everybody gets Robin Hood which i imagine makes him very contestable you know nobody nobody wants the other side to have a good guy so one other interesting thing i found in here was uh how how vulnerable evil is to to being flattered and to flattery both um both uh the sheriff and and prince john are really uh, they're at their weakest moments when when somebody's flattering them, and you know that that's that's how robin is is able to um break into the prison is through flattery of the sheriff and um it's how uh it's also how it, they're able to to steal from Prince John at the beginning at the you know out of the the carriage um is through flattery
0: yeah absolutely and again i think it goes back to the insecurity of Prince John and the arrogance of the sheriff. But both of those things allow them to be flattered by really absurdly um, untrue things.
1: Right. I like how you put those in, in parallel to each other there, because, um, yeah, earlier we were talking about how self-confident the the sheriff is, and it's it's really an arrogance. And, and so it's interesting to me that both of those vices are vulnerable to that same... Um, yeah to that same same weakness of of being flattered
0: I assume a healthy self understanding is much less susceptible to flattery
1: we We would hope <laughs> at least I mean, I'm sure we're all susceptible to it at some level, but um I thought it was interesting in this movie how they how they brought that out.
0: It's an interesting set of villains, isn't it? I mean they're, they're played so much for laughs, and all of them are really terrible. Um, when, when Prince John screams that he wants to triple taxes, Sir Hiss looks really pleased by it. At, at, at some points, he, he seems to be going along unwillingly. like he's, he's very against them executing Friar Tuck, for example. But um, it, it's clear he's with Prince John because he's just as greedy and venal. As Prince John is,
1: yeah, he's um, and and he, I mean, he's he's definitely he's got the revenge aspect towards Robin Hood as well. You know, like he's he's completely willing to sell him out. <laughs> you know, like at the, uh, you know, he's so excited to 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 let him to let Prince John know that the stork is actually Robin Hood. You know, um, he seems he seems uh, more driven by. Um, I don't know. I mean, I'm sure greed is part of it, but uh, he's so beat down on by everybody. You know, like Prince John has no affection for him whatsoever. So, I I don't know. He's got a different sort of insecurity where he's. um, I don't. I don't know what the, the good word for it is, but you know, where he keeps going back to the abuser.
0: Yeah, almost like a Stockholm syndrome or something. But he um also doesn't seem to have any particular affection for Prince John. I mean he certainly enjoys singing that song.
1: Yeah. So I don't know.
0: It's he's quite, a sycophant.
1: Yeah, I guess so. But without him, we would it, uh I mean it's it's uh he's making a fool of Prince John at the same time. Like you know, uh, he's he's the one who originally says, you know, please please don't suck your thumb like that. You know, like I don't. I, and he's always reminding him of his mother and of you know, I, I, yeah, he's a really interesting. There's an interesting dynamic there between the two of them. He doesn't just take it all the time.
0: Yeah. Well, and he's clearly the smartest of the three villains, and nobody listens to him. That's a comedy trope. I mean, that's a. That's a thing, you know.
1: Yeah. Well, that's about all I've got, Michael. Is yeah, you know, I feel like I've driven most of the conversation. Do you have uh did you have some more things that you wanted to get in?
0: No, I think we've covered everything. This is a um this is such a great movie. And and you know, it's the probably the last great movie we're going to get until the Disney Renaissance.
1: Yeah, I think that's I think so that's right. up. <laughs> yeah, I've haven't, I haven't seen most of these ones in between now and uh and um the little mermaid, which is usually the the you know, considered the first in the renaissance. Um I did watch um uh what Oliver and Company the other night <laughs> with my kids and um yeah, the whiplash between that one and uh, and Little Mermaid as far as how fast they got good um, is pretty amazing. <laughs> so uh, we have that to look forward to. Um, <laughs> Oliver and
0: Company is the first movie I ever saw in a movie theater, so I'll probably always have a certain level of affection toward it.
1: <clears throat> yeah, it's not that I don't have any affection for it. It is amazing, though, like the the jump, the, the opposite jump than what we saw. So we saw a pretty big fall from uh, – from what Sword in the Stone, or yeah, from 101 Dalmatians to Sword in the Stone, right, um, and then from Sword in the Stone to Aristocats, like we saw a pretty quick tumble, um, and the the leap back up <laughs> is pretty amazing. Um, Which is
0: interesting because then the 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 subsequent collapse does take place over the course of half a decade or so, because it's not like Pocahontas is a terrible movie, yeah, and it's not like Hunchback is much worse than Pocahontas, but. Then by the time you get into the twenty first century, every movie is a little worse than the one that came before it. Yeah, but we've uh, we'll talk about that uh, in the future.
1: Yeah, in a couple years, (laughs) we'll get there in a couple years. Um,
0: What's what's next?
1: So next is that is a good question. I sent you a list of, and now I forgot. The Many
0: Adventures of Winnie the Pooh, isn't it?
1: Oh, I think that's right. Yes, which actually is not. yeah, it's not so bad. So, I've got some affection for Winnie the Pooh.
0: Yeah, that's not one I watched when I was a kid, so uh I've only seen it once. So we'll uh we'll see next month what I think of it.
1: Yeah, that'll be very interesting to see what you think of it. Are you familiar with the original the A.A. A. Milne stories?
0: No, I'm not. Okay. I've never I've never read any of them.
1: Yeah. All right. Well, that will probably not be your homework, but if you want to, <laughs> there you go. Uh, you guys can read A.A. Milne and watch uh, Winnie the Pooh, and we will see you again uh, next month. Michael and I know that there are a great number of podcasts out there you could be spending your time on, so thank you for choosing us. We want to encourage you to set your podcast player's dials to the Christian Humanist Radio Network. We find an abundance of new and old shows. Um, our press liaison is Christian Philippic, and we're on the old interwebs with the most sporadic show notes of any podcast at beforetheywere.live. Please help us continue this conversation by finding us on Twitter. I'm at the underscore alt and Michael is at Michael Farmer. So for Michael Farmer, I'm Josh Altman for saying faint hearts, never one fair lady.